Last week, you were in Nehemiah chapter 9. You loving the study of Nehemiah? Yeah, it's rich, isn't it? And at the end of chapter 9, um, it's a, chapter 9 is a great setup for chapter 10. Chapter 10 is, is, a, uh, is a covenant that the people make with God. And um, no, we're not going to be in Nehemiah. I see some of you turning there. I'm not going to. I'm not going to attempt to uh, um, teach in the same spot where Brett is teaching. Okay. By the way, he is. He's been gone this week to a, uh, a pastor's conference, and uh, he and Christina actually, I believe, are probably on their way back now. And um, so that's, that's why he's not here tonight. But I'm, I, this idea of covenant is something that has captured my, my imagination, my, my attention. And we, we talk about covenant in the, in the context of, of our faith quite a bit. And I'd like for us to, to think, think it through a little bit. Would you go to Genesis chapter 17? And we, uh, we're going to do some uh, hiking around the scripture tonight. So just be aware of that. Um, Genesis chapter 17. This is the passage of scripture we discover as the Abrahamic covenant. It is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Now, when Abram was 90, oh, Abram, sorry, he makes it with Abram, excuse me. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between you, me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you. And kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And it keeps on going. God's promise to, to Abraham now. He's changed his name. Now, Take note that this is God's promise to Abraham. There's not a lot for Abraham to do in this. This is all God's doing. Um, go with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6. Now, this is what we call the Mosaic Covenant. 
because it has to do with Moses, not because it's a beautiful thing made of pottery shards, okay? It is, it is, the, it is because Moses is the intermediary here. And God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples of all the earth. Uh, among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. For these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Wow. Wow. You shall be my people. This is God's promise to Israel. Now, we begin to get the idea here that there is also something for the people to do. Look at Exodus 24. Exodus 24. Over a few pages. We'll start with verse one. And then said to then he said to Moses, that is God, come up to the Lord and you, Aaron, Nabab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. This is at Mount Sinai. Okay, when the up is, he's talking about up, he's talking about up on the mountain of Sinai. Then Moses came out and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and all the words to which the Lord had spoken. The Lord has spoken. We will do is what they said. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. We will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now we see a reciprocal covenant happening, right? First, we see God's promise to Abraham. Then we see God's promise to Moses and his and the people of Israel. And then we see the response of the people. There is a reciprocation in the covenant at this point. Now, in our culture today, um, we don't hear about the word covenant very much at all. What word do we hear when people make promises to each other? We hear contract, don't we? Now, there is a big difference between a covenant and a contract. Contract is, a, is an agreement between two or, or more parties. And if one party fails to meet their obligation, the contract is considered null and void. 
It's like, uh, for instance, if you have a sales contract, if the product fails to meet your expectations or the advertised expectations, you can take it back and get your money back. And the sales contract is considered null and void. If a, um, if a patient makes an appointment with a physician and the physician sets aside time for that individual and the individual doesn't make the appointment, what does the doctor do? Sometimes he charges, yes. Sometimes the, the physician charges, but he, then he considers, he considers it, it's, it's over. It's, it's not, there's no longer a relationship there. There's no expectation beyond that. Um, a covenant, on the other hand, is about relationship. See, the, a contract is about, is about the agreement, but a covenant is about relationship. It's not just about the transaction. Unlike the doctor, God's commitment is to us as a father or a mother's commitment is to a child. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 49? Isaiah 49. I love this passage. Let's go to verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And the Lord says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, you, behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That's God's commitment to us. And it is a covenant relationship. It, is, it has to do with, not with transactions, but with relationship. It is proactive. You, you see, if a, if a mother calls her child for dinner and the child doesn't come home, does she just put the dinner away and say, oh, you just missed it? Some might. <laughs> but most will go looking for the child. Because this is, yes, this is their agreement, but it's, it's about the relationship. She's committed to the child, not just to the dinner, okay? And, and, and so that is, that it's a proactive relationship. A contract, both signers agree to hold up their end of the bargain as long as the other person holds up their end of the bargain. But a covenant is where both parties agree to hold up their, their end of the agreement regardless of whether the other keeps the agreement. You see the difference? One says, the contract says, I'm, I'm committed as long as you're committed. And a covenant says, I'm committed, period regardless of what you do. A violation of the covenant by one party does not affect the other party's responsibility 
to do what they agree to do. Covenant is an old concept. It's, it's something that, that has been around for ages. There are secular covenants as well. In fact, um, some of the founding documents of our country are covenants. The Declaration of Independence, for, for instance. Now, we, we all are very familiar with the first few lines of the Declaration of Independence, right? All men are created equal, etc., cetera, et cetera. Well, the last lines of the Declaration of Independence read this way. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world. Who's that? Yes. Appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do in, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colon, colonies, some solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes. And our sacred honor. Now, those last words, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, is a covenant. It's a covenant they, they made with themselves, between themselves. And if one party decided, you know what, I'm, I'm not staying with this. The covenant wasn't over. The other still remained, still remained committed to that covenant. Um, ben Franklin said, we must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. Now, the consequences for today in regard to the difference between covenant and contract, are I think there's quite a few of them, but I want to highlight just a couple. Marriage. We talk often about marriage as a covenant in the church. It's designed to be a covenant. And yet, in our culture, we have become accustomed to thinking of marriage as a contract between two people or more. Matthew 19, Jesus says, he, 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 he speaks of the fact that marriage is designed by God. And then he says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. 
talks about leaving and cleaving. And that idea that God is involved in this relationship is exactly what covenant means. Until death do you part is the covenant statement that, that, we, that we make before the altar, before, before God Almighty, and before the witnesses that have joined together. A contract, however, in marriage, which is becoming more and more common, is I'm committed to you until you don't please me anymore. Or I'm committed to you until you do something that I don't like. And it leads to the concept of no-fault divorce. It leads to the idea of prenuptial agreements. Because you definitely don't want to lose everything if you plan to get out, right? And the, the thought that it is... It's, it's just a legal thing that, that marriage is not a covenant. It's just a legal thing that we do undermines the integrity of marriage itself. Uh, another uh, thing that I think is, I think, very serious in the church is our, our understanding of our relationship with God. Understanding who God is and how we relate to him is affected in this idea of covenant and contract. Again, in our culture, we, we get rehearsed over and over again that everything's about contract. Well, it has, it has consequences in our understanding of God. It causes people, whether they believe in God or not to live in fear of rejection because they fail or we fail to keep our end of the bargain. How many of you have ever experienced that fear that God must be very disappointed in you or uh, or in somebody else because you've done a bad thing. And therefore, therefore, what do I do? I don't know how to relate to God. How do I get back to him? I've got to crawl back and do penance, right? It's a common theme throughout many Christian circles, let me say, even today. Consequently, we, we tend to think that God will not, will not keep his promise to us. And it leads us to in, insecurity. People wondering whether or not, well, am I in good graces with God or not? Am I going to heaven or not? Am I saved or not? Because I did this bad thing, and not only once, I keep doing it. I don't want to, but I keep doing it. Sounds like Romans chapter 7, doesn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that understanding that this relationship with God is contractual leads us down that path of misunderstanding who God is and how he relates to us. It leads us also, I believe, to judge ourselves very often as hopeless, unable to approach God because of our failures, because of our imperfections. That, for me, that's, that's a profoundly tragic idea. That I can't approach God because of my failures. I can't approach God because of, of um, the fact that I'm a sinner. Not only that, but very often that, that idea uh, that our, our relationship with God is contractual leads us to judge others. We deduce that if someone is having difficulty in their life, or perhaps they're sick, or even oppressed, we stand back and we think, well, that must be because there's sin in their life. Have you ever heard that? I have to tell you, God doesn't operate that way. That's not who... That's not who the God of heaven is. It leads us to believe that God does not hear our prayers if we have any unconfessed sin in our life. Have you ever heard that? First thing we got to do is make sure we confess everything. And what happens if you forget something? I don't know about you, but there's enough in my past that (laughs) it's easy to forget. And and that idea is, is, again, it's not how God operates. Have you ever ever been been in a situation where where someone says, um, I'm coming for prayer because I desire healing. Would you pray with me? And... Someone says, well, first off, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Well, probably. I don't know. But I have to tell you, folks, that's, again, God doesn't operate that way. He's, that's not who God is. Would you, would you look with me? Luke. Luke 23. We see Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, uh, actually, you know what? Excuse me, back up a little bit. Go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. If you encounter a situation where, where the, the question is whether or not you can keep the microphone in your pocket. Um, no. 
if you encounter a situation where, where someone suggests that there's a connection between uh, whether that your illness might be, be because of your sin. Has anybody encountered that? Am I, am I the only one? Okay. I think quite honestly, it's fairly common. If, if you encounter that, I'd love for you to remember this passage. John chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1. And as he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. He must work the works of him who sent me as long we must, excuse me, work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went away and washed and came back seeing. I want you to remember this passage if you ever encounter that kind of thing. I have to tell you that honestly, not only, it's just bad theology. And it's a misunderstanding of how God how God relates to us. And quite honestly, in too many circles, it can even lead to what we would call spiritual abuse because it puts people under the thumb of others. And that's not God's intention. It it leads us to believe that God does not hear our prayers if we have any unconfessed sin in our life. But if you look at the story of Jesus on the cross, Luke 23, if you want to go there, you can. We see Jesus on the cross and next to him is a thief. And the thief is, is rebuking this other murderer who is mocking Jesus and, and saying, hey, we deserve what we get, but this is an innocent man. Lay off of him. And then he turns to Jesus and says, Lord, would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? Did he confess his sin? I don't think so. He just asked for mercy. He just asked for mercy. And what is Jesus' response? <laughs> His response is truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. You know what happened before that? If you're there in Luke 23, look at verse 34. 
one of the one of the seven last words of Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't even know that they're sinning. But forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know that they should be worried about this. In fact, they think they're doing the right thing. But forgive them. Forgiveness is God's initiative. And it's not dependent on our goodness or our cleanliness. Go to Romans chapter 5. We've been there recently on the weekends. Romans chapter 5. This is a powerful, powerful passage. Look with me at verse, starting in verse 6. For while we were still helpless, and at, at the right time, Christ died for the who? The ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man some would die, dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received the reconciliation. Again, forgiveness is God's initiative. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Many of us know that by heart, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Now, that, I have to tell you, that to me is one of the biggest traps that we face in our, in our multitude of Christian communities. Some of it has to do with a, a, a puritanical way that we were raised. And the idea of grace was non-existent. And yet, thank the Lord, we've come to understand that it is indeed a relationship of grace that we have with God. And it is a relationship. He has promised himself to us. Now, we talked about the Abrahamic covenant. We talked about the Mosaic covenant. Those are what we often refer to as the old covenant. In the New Testament, we have what we call the 
new covenant. Yes. And, it, and it's all based around the fact that Jesus himself, there in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, declares, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And many would teach, I think rightly so, that the Old Testament and its, 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 its multitude of, of stories and, and prescriptions, etc., are pointing toward Jesus. They are pointing to the fulfillment of the law. So we have the old covenant and we have the new covenant. What do we do with the old covenant? We call it the old covenant. But we live in the new covenant. We don't live in the old covenant anymore. We don't, we're not called to do that. Rather, we live in the fulfillment of God's best intention for all of creation in the new covenant. It's established that the old covenant was established. Um, the Abrahamic covenant was established with Abraham. Then we have the Mosaic covenant established with uh, Moses and the people at Mount Sinai. The new covenant is, is established at the coming of Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only begotten son, begotten son, this one born of a virgin, that whosoever would believe would have eternal life. That, that's, that's, the, that's how it's established. Who's the parties? Well, the party is in the, old, in the old covenant. The party is God and the nation of Israel. In the new covenant, it's God and all believers. Whosoever believes. The mediator of the covenant, the old covenant was Moses. He brought the... He brought the the Ten Commandments down from the mountain and, and he mediated, he spoke to the people what God spoke to him. The mediator in the new covenant is Jesus Christ himself. And by the way, do you know who he is? He's God. He's God Almighty. The promises that are made in the old covenant our prosperity, national security, uh, becoming God's treasured people. In the new covenant, the promises that are made are eternal life, becoming the children of God. <laughs> That's a big deal. That we would know God's law in our heart that we would experience forgiveness. And finally, that we will be with God forever in heaven. That's the promises there in the new covenant. It's ratified. The, the old covenant is ratified by the blood of animals and, and grain offerings. 
the new covenant is ratified by the blood of Jesus. The covenant sign in the old covenant was circumcision. In the new covenant, the covenant sign is the fact that, uh, well, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at that real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Let's start with verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, became because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing great riches of of his grace and kindness toward Christ Jesus. The word show speaks of a sign. So we, we, we see that he has raised us up into heavenly places that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. That's the, the, the covenant sign of the new covenant. How long does this covenant last? The old covenant lasts as long as there was a nation of Israel. Now, recently, uh, 1948, we had the rebirth of the nation of Israel. That's a curious thought. But the new covenant lasts forever. The new covenant is eternal. How do we commemorate? Well, that we, the commemoration of the old covenant is the Sabbath and the seasonal feasts, right? The new covenant commemoration is the Lord's Supper, that which we partake of in remembrance of Jesus. There are sacrifices in the old covenant, right? Continual offering of, again, animals and harvests and offerings, etc. The new covenant offering is Christ himself. There are obligations in the old covenant to obey the law, the Mosaic law in particular. We think most commonly of the Ten Commandments. But I have to tell you, if you read a little deeper and further, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, it adds up to about 603 additional laws. That's the obligation of the old covenant. What's the obligation of the new covenant? To believe and obey. To believe and obey. It's interesting to me that, that uh, Jesus sums it up when the uh, answer or question was given to him by the rich young ruler. What, you know, Lord, what, what commandments should I keep? <laughs> well, keep the, the Ten Commandments. Um, well, I've done that, Lord. 
Um, well, then go sell everything you have. Follow me. Just follow me. Um, that's a pretty big deal. He sums up, Jesus sums up the law and the commandments with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your who? Neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving people. That's the uh, obligation of the new covenant. The law, as I mentioned, uh, for the old covenant was the Ten Commandments. The uh, law for the, if you want to call it that, in the, for the new covenant is, I think you could sum it up in the Sermon on the Mount. Pretty serious stuff there. Um, in, in, in regard to Scripture, um, if you have a Christocentric view of Scripture, I think you would, I th- most people would say the Sermon on the Mount is the pinnacle of Scripture. It is where Jesus sums it up. The main feature of the Old Covenant is the law, obviously. The main feature, the headliner of the New Covenant is Jesus himself. So, real quick, (laughs) real quick. We are of the new covenant. We're not of the old covenant. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. We see Paul in Paul's writing, the... uh, The relationship with the law is something that kills rather than gives life. So what is our takeaway tonight? Our relationship with God and others is based on the new covenant, not the old covenant and not a contract. It's not a contract. Covenant is about relationship. Each party commits to keep covenant regardless of whether the other party does or not. This provides security for the believer. It establishes the fact that sin is forgiven on God's initiative, not our own. That life circumstance is not God's judgment, whether it's good or bad. And we approach God through the righteousness of Christ not our personal worthiness. And finally, forgiveness is complete in Jesus. Not in what we do. In Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we are children of the new covenant. And God, I thank you so much for the fact that that it's based on who you are. And you have taken the initiative. You've reached out to us. Lord, we thank you for the fact that when you reach to us, We don't have to reach far to you.
We simply need to say yes. I would say if anyone here tonight does not have the assurance of that type of relationship with Jesus, I'd encourage you to come. Come forward. There'll be people here to pray with you um, to get that settled once and for all. Lord, we thank you too for the fact that you are you are enduring in your love for us. I look forward to this weekend, Lord, to, to digging deeper into the assurance of that reality. We trust you and your judgments. We pray that you would help us live free of our personal judgments about ourselves and others' judgments as well. We simply want to trust you. Thank you for this time together. May your word bear fruit in our lives in every season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.